What's up, Fight Fan? You're listening to MMA Daily, the podcast where we bring you the latest in the world of mixed martial arts. It is Sunday, January 16th, 2022, and it is the first episode of the year. This week, UFC 270, there can be only one. We'll be talking about the latest in MMA news. Obviously, a lot has gone on since the last time we spoke to you at the end of December. We'll be recapping UFC Vegas 46 and the fight between Calvin Cater and Giga Chikadze. And of course, we'll top it off by talking about this coming week's big pay-per-view featuring the heavyweight championship unifier between Nganu and Cyril Gunn, and of course the flyweight title fight between Brandon Moreno and Davison Figueredo. My name is Gabriel Gonzalez, and I'm here with my co-host, Natalie Zamudio. Hello, Double G. 2022 is upon us. The uh, tamales are in the past. What's, uh, what's ahead? Big heavyweight fights. A long year of exciting fights and finally back on the uh, on the mic with you how you been man natalie z i am good i want to ask you i think this is the longest break we have ever had in our years of doing this show how do you feel to be back on the show like sitting here and we you know like every sunday it just passes by and i'm like yeah you know like we're on break how did it feel for you the break it was it was fine but yeah at last saturday i was like Oh, something in my life is weird. <laughs> there's no fights. There's no prepping for Sundays. Um, yeah, it was uh, it was strange-ish. But then I was like, okay, we're back in. Let's go, baby. So it's it's uh, it's good to be back for sure. Yeah, I was good. Holidays were good. I hope everybody had a good New Year. Everything in between. Um, best wishes for a great 2022. I hope the only thing that is negative in your year are your COVID and Omicron tests, ladies and gentlemen. That should be the only thing that's bad. Anyway, ladies and gentlemen, we're back. As always, let's get it started. Last night's main event, UFC Vegas 46, Calvin Cater, Giga Chikatsi, and Natalie, um, straight up, and uh, a lot of people commented this when, and obviously we'll, it'll blend in with our top news segment, but with every, with all the talk of the featherweight title, who should get it, what should happen, and you know, Giga Chikatsi, seven fight win streak, he looked fantastic in his last two and, you know, Calvin Cater had something to prove. Let's just say it simply. I mean, you're coming off statistically the worst beatdown in UFC history. Uh, you've been out a year. You're up against this guy who has hands and feet and has just been tearing up the division, looking like he's ready to do the same thing to Alex Volkanovsky. And my word, Calvin Cater gave him the business 25 minutes um i was very impressed with his durability and the execution of his game plan cut him off stayed in his face threatened with the takedown and by the end of the second round giga was already looking labored and from there the damage just kept accumulating i love calvin's ability to just walk him down his shot selection he pierced the guard a bunch of times went over the top, set up his own counters. Um, obviously, those just walking him down with the elbows was pretty savage. And finally, you know, I, I want to make sure I highlight it before I pass it. 
the end of the fifth round, he's already put it on him, and he still just delivers this just savage combo, like he's still trying to really do some more hurt on him. Just really fun bounce back to watch from the Calvin Cater side. Obviously, the surprise, I think a l- very few people expected, even if you had Calvin, for it to be as one-sided for 25 minutes as it was. I think people thought he might have to, it might have to look a little more difficult for Calvin to get that W, but really, um, just a beautiful performance. I was very impressed. What about you? Yeah, that was an exceptional performance. It's everything you want to see in an MMA fight. You know, when it goes the distance, you always hope it's a war like this, you know, not for the fighter's sake, but for the sake of, you know, fans and entertaining us. It was incredible. And yeah, especially the story coming off of his fight again against Max Holloway, you know, that not, you know, as a side note, that was my pick for fight of the year for 2021. That was last year. And uh, because it was just such a display for Max. But then you come around a year later and Calvin, now he's doing the one you know, he's the one doing the, the putting on the show a five round display of all of his skill sets. The elbows, I've never seen anyone throw elbows like that. He was throwing them with exact punching form. And he, he wasn't even in very close range the way you see like Muay Thai elbows getting thrown. He was further away than you'd expect someone to be when they throw elbows, but just perfect technique. And he was catching uh, Giga at the, at the end of those elbows, still with power and pop. The face of Chikatsi at the end of that, I mean, I, I literally, he looked like he was decaying, like, because he already had bruising under his eyes, which you don't usually see. You see the swelling, but you don't see the purple turn of color that soon in a fighter at the end of a fight. Giga looked like just beat to heck. It was an astonishing performance by Kelvin Cater. You know, he had, he ate some really good shots himself, but his boxing technique his MMA boxing is perfect. It's beautiful. And he he just that was the biggest the biggest and best display of his talents that he put on. It was just what a show for him now. He like I said he ate some shots so it's not going to be like one of those quick turnarounds but I I really hope that he's in in the conversation for for a, for a big fight next with the with the UFC powers that be, you know. Yeah, I think that um I mean, just nice and easy. Uh, Yair Rodriguez, Brian Ortega, those fights immediately stand out to me for him. I mean, run it back with Shane Burgos, maybe. I mean, Shane coming off that big win over Billy Q, that could always be a good one. Yeah. Um, the loser, I mean, I don't know when he plans to get back in there, but the loser of uh, Alex and Korean Zombie, which uh, we will talk about, uh, but I want us to focus on Saturday's card. But yeah, there's just easily good options for him. Still good options for Giga. I mean, uh, a lot of those guys are still also options for him, if I'm being honest, after the win streak he was on. But yeah, Calvin Cater, I mean, I will say this. I was happy for him, but part of me was like, I'm sorry, but that almost made Max Holloway look even better, right? I mean, like, you think about that, I was like... I'm sorry, but Max Holloway almost got like half a W himself just staying at home. Just That's a great comment because it totally it's totally true. It's like, okay, you just own this guy that was coming up and everyone was already talking about title shot, but you got 
super owned like a year ago by Max Holloway. By the way, that's MMA math, but yeah. I mean, part of me was like, no, really, though. This is a li- it felt a little bit like that one. And look, uh, they're not the same, obviously. Calvin's not Max, and they have, uh, you know, even though there's a lot of boxing, there's a different implementation of the skills. But yeah, look, I mean, obviously the featherweight division is going to be a point of discussion for the next few days and what we do next, who goes where, um, where does it happen. We'll get into all of that. Uh, The undercard... um, They had a lot of stuff happening. I mean, I think uh, it was uh, Kevin Kroom and Charles Rosa both took fights this week, stepping up on short notice. I know some fights got pushed around. Uh, Michelle Pereira lost his opponent and then just got, they just couldn't find a a dance partner and he got scrapped from the card entirely. So, um, yeah, and I don't, what's funny is that you feel like, you know, Oh, was it a surge of COVID? I felt like a bunch of these were just injuries. So, you know, it was kind of like, nah, you know, I think that just, uh, you know, it it just didn't seem people still were on holiday time or something because it it just seemed like a lot of stuff's happening for next week also. But uh, yeah, I think that was my biggest thing. It felt like the undercard, everything under um, Giga and Calvin just felt in jeopardy. What about you? Yeah, it was interesting. I my thought is I thought it was like, okay, yeah, it's just COVID stuff and, and if it is more at least the reason given more because of injury, somehow I feel like that's still tied to COVID, even though I can't back up how or why, but that, you know, virus has just infiltrated everyone's minds, their day to day life. I feel like it's you know, even though we're two years plus into it it like affects everything, every choice you're going to make because, you know, going out to go buy something, going out to eat, like everything's like, okay, you know, you got to get your mask, got to, you know, how close are you going to sit to people? How close do you want people to get to you? It's this whole thing. And now if you're going talking about being in a gym, well, you kind of have to forget about that, except you really can't forget about it because if you do get it, then there goes your fight. All, all I'm saying is that it's a, it's an extra layer that's running through the back of everyone's minds. And I, I believe that there's got to be something to that as far as like causing injuries to fighters. Now it, it may sound like a stretch, but like, just think about the psychology that we've all been, the, the change in psychology that we've been going through. And we're just regular schmoes, but if you're a fighter and, and getting sick means you can't fight, it, it, it does things to your head. So that's where my brain was going is like the bigger, the bigger picture, the deeper, <laughs> the, the, the deeper subconscious thing that, that could be causing this, these injuries. But you know, that's just my, uh, that's just my brain going going I, 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 you you are not wrong i'm not saying that some people might i hate to say it so simply but my experience is that even among even during these times a lot of the fighters it's like look the fact is this is our job and so it's like look either we train or you know, like my house, you know, the lights go off and food isn't on the table. You know what yeah. I mean? Yep. And I do think, um, I'm not saying that there haven't been a lot of uh, improvisation. For example, if you know you have a fight coming up and I don't know, you think it might be going through the gym. You probably did have to do some at home training, right? Mm-hmm. For sure. But um, no, I, I think it's, I know there's an element of that to it. And, you know, 
when you don't necessarily have all the bells and whistles to your routine, is there a higher likelihood of a bit of tweaks and aches, you know, occurring? Possibly. But I don't want to put that on it. You know what? That, you know, I'm not going to give it the fight unless I have the proof. And if you're not saying it, I'd be like, no, you know, we're already going through a lot and we're already being careful. But um, I'm going to say that. And then my second one is going to be, um, I think a few of the fights, at least one might have been a bit of the uh, travel and everything else is that, you know, just the same way. It's like, well, if you with quarantines and now like, hey, you need a test from this place or that place, I think there might be a bit of that going on, but. I'm not going to say it's that just yet, you know. I'm not saying that's not happening because I know for sure, like, yeah. you know, I think especially this holiday season, I mean, I don't know about you, but it was just one of those things It felt like, oh, the neighbors said they had it at work and then it's like, well, you know, stay on your side of the, the fence, Bob. No offense, you know. If you see me cutting my lawn, that means you wait until I get back in the house to cut yours. Um, (laughs) Right, yeah. That's how how we are, right on edge for everything that we never were before. Well, the no, but the holiday season, I felt like there was a lot of that in particular going on, just personally. Mm -hmm. But hey, and maybe that's just me. I don't know where you're at or listeners where you might be at, but that was just me. But yeah, it felt like, you know, like we're having like... It felt like the news all day was like so and so is out replacement, so and so replacement this and that. So it was just a lot of that going on, and I think this last week personally. Yeah. Also yeah. to two seventy, obviously. Um, I need to double check it. I think they have a guy for Ilya Tapuria, but he's like the third from the top on the pay per view. I know they lost the Greg Hardy versus Olenek. After previously losing Olenek, they were going to have Sergei Spivak. Um, so there's just been a lot of that going around. And so I know there are a lot of adjustments and it's like, well, knock on wood, none of the big fights have fallen through just yet outside, just yet. Of, <laughs> outside of Max. But, you know, we still kind of like it was so far away, it didn't, it didn't sting as bad. Um, final note, uh, Caitlin Chukagian. So she is now four and one since she lost to Shevchenko in, uh, yeah, in 2020, um, beats Jennifer Maya. She's obviously gotten those wins over like, uh, Valentina Shevchenko. I want to say she got Calvillo, right? She got another big win in there. Um, and by the way, I just want to say Shevchenko beat Antonina, um, and she's saying that uh, she tried to negotiate a new UFC contract and that UFC said, no, we're going to fight it out. I think that's just very clear. Obviously, Caitlin is a very consistent performer. Got to a title shot, you know, very um, convincingly. You know, she got a good win streak together. I think a lot of people would argue that she's the second best flyweight behind Valentina. And yeah, I, I just found that very perplexing because, it, one, I will acknowledge Caitlin says she wants to stay in UFC, so I don't expect there to be a big push. I think it might have been more of a factor of like, hey, you know, Caitlin, very consistent. I will say she's not exactly going out there and being this very exciting and dynamic fighter. 
you know, steak and potatoes. But hey, the steak and potatoes works most days of the year and it gets her a lot of wins. Completely fine. Very good. I wonder if they felt like, hey, you know, like whether you win or lose this one is going to determine, you know, where we're where we stand on the contract. What were your thoughts? That that seems right. I mean, first of all, consistent is is the right way to describe her fight, her fights, her performances, her her fight style. It's consistent, but in a way that is not very exciting. And when you talk about being, you know, behind Jessica Andrade as, as far as the rankings go, uh, she's number two with Valentina Shevchenko on top. Think of how vast the gap is between the skills of Valentina Shevchenko and Jessica Andrade and Caitlin Chukagian. I think she finished both of them by with a crucifix. Am I wrong? Am I correct? Uh, yes. I think yes. she did. And not for so, nothing, uh, I believe Jessica Andrade is going back down to 115. Oh, she is. Okay. They still, yeah. yeah, I'm looking at the UFC rankings. They still have her here. So they, they okay. don't, they don't bump her down until she actually has the fight. Gotcha. Okay. Um, so it's it's like if I'm the UFC, Valentina Shevchenko is so exciting. Do you want to force her to fight Caitlin Chukagian, who doesn't improve? And and what I mean by that is like like she's consistent. Like you said it, I agree. She's consistent, which which means she's just on a plateau. She's always going to be, oh, not always going to be. So far, she has proven to always be, um, you know. The same fighter, not exciting, but not boring because she's more of a striker. She can grapple, but she doesn't have that killer instinct that you want to see in any fight. So I'm not surprised because it's kind of just like, why, if I'm the UFC, why waste, why give away money? If she loses, you have the high ground in negotiation. If she wins, based on her performances in general and her performance against the current champion you still have some negotiating power to say like we like you but you're not so valuable that we're gonna you know bend over backwards to keep you um to give you what you want so it's a smart move they they did they you know it's a smart business move now it sucks for her because she just sure doesn't make you feel wanted um but if she's a free agent then she can probably get more money at bellator but you know well it depends what she wants to right yeah and so on that note, um, and this is going to segue into a second to a certain former double champ who really wanted a big fight too. But uh, I think when I think about Caitlin and um, look, once again, it's like, it, look, I, I agree with you. Am I out there and thinking, oh man, this is going to be like Justin Gaethje, Michael Chandler when I see her? No, uh, that's fine. Most fighters are like that. Um I think that with Caitlin, though, I did wonder if it's a bit of a Liz Carmouche situation where, remember, like Liz was coming off the loss for the title and said that the UFC just kind of decided to cut her coming off the L. And it was like, yeah, but Liz might still be probably like top two or three behind Valentina. And it just felt like, well, you know, like she was like, well, we can't find anyone to fight her. And it felt more like, well, it just felt like, no, it was more a matter of Liz was probably going to stop some of these up and coming girls from getting to the title from she was. I think that felt like she isn't going to be a champion or a superstar 
So, but she's still so good, kind of like Yoel Romero, that she's kind of going to stop other people from getting there. Yeah. When she already, you know, might struggle to get over the hump. And we've seen enough from that. I think that's unfair because I think that once again, it's like if you have someone who's that good, don't you want to still at least sign them to a couple fights? You know, if they're the best of the best, right? Yeah. And I'm not saying that, you know, Caitlin was going to suddenly start breaking the bank just like Liz wasn't exactly going to start breaking the bank but once again i understand they've been in the game a while you're entitled to a pay raise at a certain point after certain victories and you know that's where the numbers and negotiation comes in so i think that that's what we saw now you asked me honestly look into the crystal ball could she light up some people in bellator caitlin yeah i i think that that's not out of the question you tell me hey you know Caitlin, Liz Carmouche, Caitlin, you know, uh, I, I, it's on the tip of my tongue. Velasquez, Juliana Velasquez, uh-huh. like, just it didn't want to come out. You know, that's a fight. Caitlin, Alima McFarlane. Alima, yeah. yeah uh, th- there's options. At Kana Watanabe, uh, there are options out there. She could certainly be a breath of fresh air, but... If she wants to be a UFC fighter, I mean, once again, like, you earned it. You're out there getting the Ws. So, that's how I feel about it. And I hope that they come to it, you know, that's never a good feeling. So, no, look, not. you're out there winning. Go out there, get paid, keep kicking butt. And she acknowledged, look, I'm not saying, oh, yeah, they're ready to see me fight Valentina again. I know that's not true. And I think, hey, you know what? You're saying you will... You want to be here and you'll keep taking fights with whoever, even if they're ranked below you? I'm sorry, but I like that attitude. Isn't that what they encourage? Yeah. So I think it's time to stay in it. Um, But yeah, so when you talk about that, you'd sometimes when you talk about how do you get these fights and these good contracts, well, a lot of that depends on your drawing power, which is how I think we ended up with probably the biggest news story. Alex, so Max Holloway... I guess uh, injures himself very early last week, days after, as I understand it, verbally agreed to fight Volkanovski, March 5th, all this stuff. And so it's kind of opened up the sweepstakes and Giga was pushing for the fight. Everybody, you know, Yair was pushing for the fight. Josh Emmett was pushing for the fight. And it just kind of seemed like the door opened for one Henry Cejudo. And I'm sure you've seen a lot of it. They've done a lot of talking. Dana White's commented on it. And um, one, uh, you know, very simply, I like the fight with Korean Zombie for Alex. I think that when you do process of elimination, uh, he, he just makes a lot of sense. Zabit, if he's coming back, he still has been out a long time. I wouldn't say try to push him in by any means, so... Short of taking somebody coming off a loss, which is not unheard of. I think that Zombie was, you know, pretty good choice as next one up. He's been in the game a long time. Very exciting himself. And when I looked at the Suhudo fight, and I'm not going to lie, when I broke it down, I was like, look, I mean, stylistically, when you consider the height thing and the fact that Alex isn't the tallest featherweight, we might have something. Okay. Obviously, Henry's pedigree. He didn't lose the flyweight title. He didn't lose the bantamweight title. All of that stuff seemed like a good positive. 
the thing I honestly came down to, and uh, we've kind of touched on it, I did not think Henry was ever going to get that fight. I think that the way that his entire strategy played out following vacating the Bantamweight title and Dana White's firm stance that he is not interested in chasing Cejudo. Put it this way. Cejudo retired. Dana White agreed Saturday night. Habib retired. Dana White didn't agree until about six months later. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Touche. Right? Am I wrong? No, No. man. That's how it went down. There we are. And so, once again, do I think that would have been a good fight? Yes. But I think that when you look at the situation... I don't know if I'm confident that Henry's drawing power was going to be enough for him to come off the retirement tour being inactive and just kind of get such an opportunity. GSP, you know, he kind of left as one of the biggest pay-per-view stars the company had. And I think we found out that his power was still pretty strong when he fought Michael Bisping, but Henry Cejudo just never had that kind of power, so I never thought that he was going to really get it as long as there's any other option. Even a lightweight fight for Alex, I thought, was in play if they can't find a featherweight for the title fight. So, In short, um, I like the fight with Alex and Korean Zombie and watching the Henry Cejudo drama play out in the media, you know, I'm not saying there weren't some points made on both sides, but also feel like you could, if you followed this, you could see a mile away that it was never going to happen. What about you? Yeah, for all the amazing accomplishments that Henry Cejudo has has uh, accomplished, has has all his all the you know the things that he's done, Triple C, like he never became the big the big one of the bigger stars of the UFC. They use him now whenever they talk about another double champ, like he's part of the, you the know, the, uh, yeah, the club. Thank you. But I think because he retired so quickly and didn't have to, even though his fights were dramatic, individual fights for, you know, what he did to get the belt, because he never had to go through, you know, great turmoil like Conor McGregor, even now Amanda Nunes, DC. Like, there was never a great redemption story for him. It was just like, oh, man, he did it. And then he did it again. And then he retired. Good for you, man. But but what I think sort of rubbed people the wrong way is that he wouldn't stop chiming in to the world of MMA as if, you know, we owed him another opportunity to prove his greatness. I'm a big fan of Henry Cejudo. But when he started chiming in on this one, I totally agree with Dana White. It's like, bro, you're retired. And like you're long retired, you did all these great things, but you can't just you're not Conor McGregor at the height of his of his career to just be able to say like I want to come in and hop in another division and 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 fight for the belt. It's just he's just not there. This is like uh you know more, we're talking about more MMA math, right? The numbers just don't add up for Henry Cejudo in spite of all his amazing accomplishments. So I kind of would have wanted to see it only because. I did believe he had a chance to give Alexander Volkanovsky a, a good fight. And he maybe even could have won. Like when I think about his fight against Marlon Marais and how badly he was being beaten in round one and the way he came back, <coughs> excuse me, that was incredible. So I think there was, there was going to be a great fight there, but um, look, yeah, it wasn't to be, I understand why it makes total sense. And zombie versus Volkanovsky is a, is a good fight. 
I think about what Volkanovsky said when Brian Ortega was going to fight him. And he said, you know, everyone was so impressed with Ortega against Zombie, but Zombie's flat-footed, and I'm not. And so we saw what Volkanovsky did to Ortega, so I sort of feel like, you know, we might see the same with Zombie, but I don't know. Zombie's a different kind of fighter, and, you know, it'll be a good challenge for Volkanovsky. You can't complain with this matchup. I agree with you, and... um. Once again, remember, Zombie was right there previously when he had the title eliminator with Ortega. Yeah. And, um, you know, he had been performing well. Uh, obviously, injuries and all that have kind of slowed him down. He's, you know, he's become a once-a-year fighter, which is very unfortunate because I think he's got a great style and fan base to follow. But, um, yeah, I mean, on that note, I think that watching the situation play out was a great example of how much it's not just getting the wins all the time. Sometimes it's about that investment and just uh, drawing power you have. It's about getting butts in the seats. And uh, yeah, I think that you just really saw that. And then, you know, I agree with you a bit with Henry Cejudo. I think that um, you win two belts the way you and defend them the way he did. Yeah, he, he was very entitled to ask for a significant pay raise. However, I think that his uh, biggest fumble, and, and uh, okay, I get it. I think that um, he's five foot what? I don't say that um, as an insult, but it, look, he's not about to go out there and say they're all scared of me because, right. you know, yeah. But what he's going to, what do you do then? You know, you kind of have to take a bit of a Jake Paul uh, nuisance kind of approach. Which is fine. You know, you got to do something. You know, Conor McGregor says something every week, right? I know. I think that with Henry, though, his biggest fumble was just as the division 135 was really starting to get hot. He kind of leapt off at the wrong t He took both hands off the steering wheel and said, I'm out of the car. Yeah. And I'm sorry, but you had Aljo, Peter, Corey, um, even now, like, Jose Aldo coming up. Uh, TJ Dillashaw is back. I mean, it, you just kind of left at a time when it's like, no, you know, like, the, you know, Dana White almost said, it's like, I literally have so much to work with that Bantamweight that if you're going to play that game, I'm still okay. Like, yep. and it has been, let's be honest, the Bantamweight division was on fire last year. It's on track to have a great year this year that I think that that was just it. It was just kind of like, you know. Like I said, I definitely negotiate for the money. I'm not saying that was a bad idea, but I think the second he relinquished the title, he also lost his ability to be in control of the conversation because now he's now he needs the people to come to him. And I mean Alex and I mean the UFC. And I'm sorry, but Alex hasn't been on board either. Yeah, so, exactly. You know, and, and, you know, back to it once again, Alex and Zombie, that'll be good. Where does Max fit into this? I don't know. I mean, could Max end up being a backup? Because I know they pushed the fight back a month. Uh, that'll be interesting. But so on that note, the expected trilogy with Peter Jan and Aljamain Sterling and the Volkanovski zombie fight is now expected to take place in April. Aljo kind of let it drop that it's expected to be in Jacksonville. So UFC returning to Florida in the spring. So what happens with March? Well, how about this? 
five round non-title but it's the grudge match of the last two years Jorge Masvidal Colby Covington in the main event what are your thoughts on that one I mean that yeah the, the this is the one we've been wanting to see for such a long time depending on where you stand where Leon Edwards is concerned you know maybe you wanted to see three piece of the soda first but this is the personal one, right? This is the true, true grudge match. Friends become foes, and not only foes, but just trash-talking up the wazoo, and they're both such big personalities, coming off of losses, both against Kamara Usman. You know, this one has... Okay, obviously a championship is, is more important, and they both wanted to win. But this is the one that I think would sting a lot more for whoever loses because it's going to be personal. It's going to be the guy that you used to, you know, you know, tell your secrets to in the in the when you shared an apartment or were dorm room, whatever they shared. Like, you know, a lot more about these this guy, this opponent than any other opponent you've ever faced. It's going to be thrilling. You know, the lead up is going to be, you know, blowing up the internet social media, press conference, all that stuff's going to be fire. So, like, okay, man, everybody wear your masks. Everybody take it easy. We want to see this fight happen. We don't want any delays, please. Thank you. So what I like about this, uh, I like the fight for all the reasons you're saying. I did find myself scratching my head a little bit because not only did they say, okay, well, they took both title fights off March and said, we're going to run those in April. Which made me think, okay, as a fight itself, it's great. I do worry, well, now what do you do if anything happens? Because now what do you make a co-main event to that? And I've heard rumors of Dustin Poirier and Nate Diaz. I heard they're working on it. I'll be honest. I don't know if, how much confidence I have that Nate Diaz gets a fight just because it's like... From what I've heard from Ariel Helwani is that Nate's been game for months now and that the UFC is just like kind of putting their foot down on what opponent he'll actually fight at that time. You know what I mean? Uh And, you know, it could be Dustin most likely. And after, you know, at a certain point, they do have to offer him a fight. But, um, yeah, I, I think that they're just a little gridlock there that I don't know how much confidence I have that that actually crosses the finish line to completion. But I do wonder like, okay, if it were hypothetically no title fights, Jorge and Colby at the, in the main event, do I think that they could carry the pay-per-view? I'm going to say it's not going to be a blockbuster. I mean, it's not going to be like some of the other ones we've seen, like the, Volkanovski Ortega that had Shevchenko and Nick Diaz on the undercard. I don't know about that. I know if it's going to have the same Madison Square Garden effect, like having the Trevor Whitman guys and girl. Oh, yeah. Uh I don't know about that. But I do think that all the ingredients together, they should still have a very solid pay-per-view if it's just them. What about you? Oh, yeah. And I, look, I, I know I say this a lot, but this is one of those fights where you would pay pay-per-view money just for this fight alone. Now, of course, does the UFC want this to be the only good fight on the card? No, nor do the fans. But remember, Masvidal against Nate Diaz, I mean, 
Canelo Alvarez, that wasn't his the fight. The, wasn't his fight that same night, and it was delayed so that the world could watch Masvidal Diaz. I think that was the, the night, right? Yeah. So <clears throat> my point is, Jorge Masvidal, Masvidal. Now, of course, it was it was two sides coming together that created that that heft, that the, the power to to delay a Canelo Alvarez fight, meaning Masvidal and Diaz coming together. But Jorge Masvidal himself still has a lot of weight, carries a lot of weight. The name, and, and when you're fighting someone like Covington, like, you know, I don't look at his numbers, but that, that you know. He's got attention. <laughs> uh, yeah, the, the, the folks who are at the core of his fan base, that he appeals to, that he, you know, that he tries to, to attract, like, those folks love Colby Covington, and they're going to want to watch. Now, I don't know if... You know they're gonna make big MMA pay-per-view records here, but I do think it's enough. I would like to see, of course, a, an exciting co-main event. Who the heck could it be? I don't know. We're still far enough away, and the UFC has proven themselves to be pretty clever and pretty, pretty, pretty good at getting fights together, good fights together at the last minute. So maybe they'll have to throw a couple extra bucks at somebody to fight when they're not interested, when they wouldn't otherwise be interested in fighting. But I don't think they're going to leave these two guys hanging at the top without an exciting couple of fights on the main card. Yeah, that's fair. I think that, um, you know, to lead into it, uh, I, I think that Honestly, I feel like we've been teased so much with the Nate and Dustin thing. Like, it feels like even Dana White is acknowledging that this is a possibility. But every time we... Like, for example, it was like, oh, well, they're going to try to get them on maybe the Houston card, right? And bump it up, you know, pump it up with Whitaker, not Asanya. And it's like, okay, now, you know, respectfully to guys like Derek Brunson, Jared Cannonier. A lot of fans are saying, hey, you know, like, I know they can't all be these three title super cards, but they've kind of gotten spoiled and we're saying, hey, you know, you just raised the pay-per-view price. We want a little more, you know, uh, star power for the money. And I, I certainly get why, you know, you try, but schedule-wise, it may not always happen for each card of the 13 or so pay-per-views a year. But I feel like... If after all of this, if we don't get Nate and Dustin, I, I mean, it's just very frustrating to me that it seemed like all three sides talked about it and it's still somehow just nothing but a non-starter. It's not even, oh, well, someone got hurt, someone got sick. And no, it, it really feels like this is all falling apart at the at the table. Uh-huh. And I do think that if it doesn't come together to bolster that March card, I mean that's that, that that was just a missed opportunity. What about you? It is, but you know we shouldn't be that surprised. Like getting either Diaz on a card is always tricky, and there's always so much start and stop and crying wolf. I'm not holding my breath for this one. And like the UFC, it's almost like a policy with them at this point. They you know, they will not yield because they don't need to yield. They, like, the, once the Conor McGregor era ended, like, the you know, the height of it ended, they have not been willing to play ball with almost anyone. 
John Jones, Francis Ngannou, Conor McGregor, like, okay, they'll treat you right. They'll work with you. But if you start becoming what in their minds is unreasonable and what, you know, from a fan's perspective of combat sports is just par for the course, when you think about how boxing operates, you know, the UFC is like, too bad. This is the UFC. You want to fight here? These are how, this is how we play the game. So, like, they just have so many options and they know that if this card isn't the best, there's another one next month. And I think they're riding high on their own success um, during the pandemic. I think that's really bolstered their confidence to say, like, nah, we're, we're bigger than you, no matter who you are, and we'll, we always will be. And so if you want to be difficult, okay, be difficult all the way to, you know, to the end of time because we're not going to budge. So I just think that, you know, if the UFC doesn't want to give whatever Diaz or Poirier is asking for, like, they're just not going to do it, and that's it. Yeah, I think that it's just going to come down to, at the end of the day, like, if the fans and the really all the sides can push for it and be like, hey, look, you know, like, take it or leave it. And I think as the lightweight division develops too, and I know that this fight, what I'm expecting is it'll be at welterweight, ironically, um, even though I think both actually fight better at lightweight right now. Um, I think that is just going to come down to kind of like the line, like we finally have reached the end of like, look, will they or won't they? And it's like, look, this is the fight. Just too many, too many things are just stopping it that they just go with it. It's like, look, we're not going to make something else happen. It's just, just all the pieces aren't there to line up for something better that we're actually going to fight for. So I do expect it'll happen, but, or sorry, I, I do expect like they'll make something happen or they'll just, I don't know, with Nate Diaz, they'll just give them a big fight, like something that just almost doesn't make sense at all. And then just call it a day. And like, you know, like no, uh, restricted free agency. Like the second his hand is raised or not in the octagon, he could go fight for Triller the next night and no contractual obligation. I feel like that's where we're at right now with him. Yeah, I mean, that that would be nice for anyone who wants to be like a true free agent, right? Coming out of the UFC. Yeah, it's true. But like I said, I mean, I mean, we've gotten so much out of it. It's like I, I, I would be a little disappointed if somehow this doesn't happen. So that's just where we've reached with it. Yeah. Um, I like a little bit of drama, don't you? I mean, we're just hanging out. It's the holidays. <laughs> Dana White is in a cabin or, you know, holiday home somewhere. And Jake Paul is talking about how he's going to retire. And then he starts saying some things that Dana White needs to get tested. And then Dana says, all right, when are you going to get tested? And then Dana drops that video from his vacation home in response to Jake Paul. And then that's when people kind of stop what they were doing, you know, like Brett Okamoto put down his little boy and said, oh my gosh, I really need to get back to work, you know, and, <laughs> you know, everyone was talking about it, right? And, yeah. uh, you know, just um, obviously it went nowhere, which I predicted. But I just found this very interesting because I felt like you had two of the most discussed combat sports figures of 2021 and it just i was like 
why what what was the end goal because at the end of the day i'm gonna just say this right now jake paul is not gonna fight who dana wants him to fight jake paul is gonna keep fighting who he wants to fight dana and ufc are gonna keep paying what they're gonna pay neither person needs the other jake oh jake paul needs ufc that's a complete misunderstanding of our business the the people Jake Paul has fought, let me just say this bluntly, the UFC essentially did not have them on their roster. Ben Askren may be a UF, contracted UFC fighter. The UFC was never operating after the loss to Damian Maya that Ben Askren could somehow come back and make money for them. Plain and simple. Tyron Woodley. Yes, he fought for UFC last year and then fought Jake Paul. Tyron Woodley's uh, contract was over in March. The UFC was no longer in the Tyron Woodley business. So really, you know, the fact that they somehow have influence over the other, I think is really a miss... It's just incorrect if you're under that assumption. Really, I can't think of two people who need each other less right now who are in such, you know, at the top of the conversation of interest in, well, what are they going to do? What's going to happen next? And so really, I was like, I watched this and I'm like, I mean, if anything, I think that Jake Paul got one win in that he got the arguably the most powerful person in combat sports to react to him personally while on vacation. But then I remember like, I'm sorry, but if Dana White wants to, have you heard of this game like Big Bank Take Little Bank? I don't know if there's another name for it. I know it's a very like people play it in the hood kind of deal you know it's a very crude but have you heard of it you know what it is natalie you know what i'm i'm definitely not cool enough to have heard of that anyway as one person understood uh, explained it and i understood it like someone's bragging about money and they get challenged hey you want to pay play big bank take little bank and i'm sure there's variations of it of two different degrees in business and on neighborhoods corners around the world but essentially, you know, you're confident, you show how much money, like cash you got in the wallet, the other person shows how much cash you got in the wallet, the person with the most takes all the other person's money. Oh. And in my mind, when I'm watching like, okay, Jake Paul, oh, well, he's made millions on YouTube, he's made, let me tell you something. If Dana White wanted to take the shares, he, I'm not saying they would sell it to him. But he has enough money to buy out a lot of stuff that Jake Paul's been involved in. You know, Triller and all that stuff. Uh So really, when I think it's like, honestly, like, with all this yapping back and forth, I was like, in all honesty, I'm not saying Dana will buy Showtime Boxing. That's still a pretty big, uh, you know, incorporated institution now. Yeah. But honestly, the fact that there's this even idea that somehow... Dana White couldn't just like take over Jake Paul business if he wanted to with money is just like guys let me tell you something big dog could take a chunk out of him any day he wanted yeah uh absolutely and I was surprised and a little bit disappointed that Dana White even like you know responded to him much less on video much less from vacation like don't give Jake Paul any more attention, any more ammunition. You know, Michelle Obama always says, when they go low, 
you go high and just ignore it. Like, or, or if you're going to, you know, respond, you know, use some well-placed emoji just to sort of dismiss the, the nonsense that is Jake Paul, the problem child, like, just stop giving this guy attention. Let him say whatever the heck he wants. But I'm sure someone's in Dana White's ear saying, if you don't respond to this claim of, you know, cocaine use or this claim of um, underpaying your fighters, it's people are going to take it as a confirmation of his, of his, um, you know, his claims and blah, 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 blah. All this mass PR nonsense that people have to worry about these days. But man, I really wish he just wouldn't acknowledge the guy. You know, that's the best way to move on from this. But I guess I guess it's not going to happen because he totally went back and forth with Jake Paul. I mean, like I said, it was like, well, that amounted to a lot of shouting on social media. And, you know, well, like I said, the end game, they're not going to change each other. So really, what was the point? I think it was just, uh, you know what? Rich people are just like us. They kind of want to... You know, they don't want to punk out on social media either. Just like any two random people with like four followers each do. Yeah. All yeah. the time on MMA Twitter. But yeah, so that uh, that happened. And that was a highlight of the holidays, wasn't it, Natalie? <laughs> I mean. Oh my God. It was so. so nothing. Oh. There's no MMA on TV. All the shows were gone. I already finished Cobra Kai season four. <laughs> Say, oh, well, just keep going, guys. You know, what else am I doing? I don't got work today. <laughs> nope. Yeah. Let's get right to so it. Where dumb. do you want to start? Main <laughs> or co-main event? Oh, co-main, please. All right. So we got UFC 270 this Saturday, Anaheim, California. And so once again, not the fight we expected, but not mad about it. Uh, Brandon Moreno looks to retain the title after a dominant performance. What was it in May? I believe it was May over Davison Figueredo. Davison, new team. Well, I believe he's got some of the same people, but he's also added a lot of new elements. He's been in Arizona for a while now, training with Henry Cejudo. They've had, you know, Zhang Wei Li in there. They've had John Jones in camp. And so the idea is that if there is something new, he's put in the work to have it going into the fight this Saturday. Brandon, after really taking off in popularity now, will he still be the same dialed-in guy who really took it to Davison? I think those are the two big X factors. Does Davison look like he's doing something new in the cage? And is Brandon as sharp and as dialed-in as he was when he won that title. Um, stylistically, I think that you have a lot of the same weapons coming in. Davison, has he's a very big flyweight, has a very tough cut, does a lot of damage, but sometimes that means he has to conserve his energy. He can't just blow it all in those first five minutes and expect he's going to still be good in minute 25. He's had five round fights before, but... It's going to be a real test. It's like, hey, you know, you can't just keep going at that same pace. He will have to conserve energy the right way if it goes turns into a long fight. 
Brandon looked a lot better with the jab, but I think his real big strength is going to be stick and move, you know, get in, get out, and then find opportunities to try to take this fight to the ground. Davison is good. Brandon on top of him, though, is just too good if this fight goes to the mat. So, in my opinion, a Brandon Moreno victory follows a lot of the same script as the second fight. Work behind the jab. Find your takedown. Just movement. Stick and move, stick and move. And eventually, Davison, because of the way he fights with them, you know, he he loads up more power in his shots. Those openings will be there to get under something, set something up, and get the fight to the ground where he has the advantage. For Davison, you got to cut off the cage, and I think you got to just chop away with some kicks. You got to make Brandon feel like he can't do all those things he wants to do because he can't move. I think that that's kind of the two scenarios we see playing out. What are your What is your take on the fight? Well, I, I do see about you know potentially seeing a, a repeat of of uh, Moreno Figueredo two right where where Brandon wins the belt because Brandon looks so good and I I just believe he's only going to be better he came out so fast aggressive but intelligently aggressive no not wild and that was really the key to his victory once he got uh you know Figueredo down it was all she wrote yeah the X factor here and Figueredo training with Henry Cejudo how has the 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 wrestling offense and defense changed, improved, been altered? And you know, Henry Cejudo fancies fancies himself a a you know um, a motivation, a, like a, a motivating mentor type figure in the MMA now, um, especially since Dana White won't have him back. And you know, he was trying to do that with Weili Zhang, didn't work out, but it was close. You know, it was a good fight with Rose Namajunas. So I would like to see also from the mental perspective, how has Henry Cejudo potentially helped Figueredo, um, you know, keep his mind on track and not get discouraged internally by anything in the fight that might look like a repeat of of the, the second fight, you know, because if you think about just human psychology, you do your best, you train, you get in there, and then all of a sudden you feel yourself getting beat in the same way and it's like you could you could very well spiral out of control or you could you know stop the the mind from going that way regroup and come back with some offense so I'm curious about that stuff and you know that's just you know we we won't truly know what the uh, impact of Henry Cejudo's presence in the camp has been but there's got to be some kind of uh, impression that Cejudo has been able to make on Figueredo in that perspective but back to the top anyway I do think it's going to be a repeat Moreno Faster, sharper, stronger, just more ambitious. And I think he's going to be able to finish Figueredo. This is going to take a little bit longer, but I think it'll be round three. Uh, another submission. Uh, you like to call him, so I'm going to try to call one now. I'm going to say uh, a rear naked choke, Brandon Moreno, round three. Ooh, okay. I, I appreciate it. I th- someone is starting <laughs> out the year very confident. Oh, I like sure, it. Yes, sir. I, I like it. You know what? Um, Every time I see the fight playing out, I do feel like just uh, the footwork of uh, Moreno is going to be the difference, right? He's just not going to be there for the things that Davison, I think, needs to do stylistically. Yes, he's very powerful. Can he do some damage if he cuts off the cage? Yes. I think, though, that we saw Brandon really solve the puzzle a couple months ago. And I don't know that 
with all this extra time to prepare, if Figueredo's gonna necessarily be a new person in the cage to do what he needs to do to make it a very different fight. I think at the end of the day, he'll probably try to go into a lot of the same things he tried before, load up on the power, counter-strike, use that explosiveness, and I think that Moreno's just not going to be there. Um, hmm. I, you know what, though? When I'm going to give Figueredo credit, I don't think it's going to, he's not going to, Maybe not do the damage back, but he's not going to take as much either. I'm going to say this fight goes long. I am I think we're going to have a 25-minute, not the first fight, 25 minutes of epicness, but I think we're still going to have a 25-minute decision for Moreno. Okay. Yeah. That's still exciting considering how these guys fight. Exactly. I think, you know, not as much damage one way, but Brandon's still going to have his number. Okay. That's how I, I like see that. it. Oh, can you? All right, this is a very rare thing that we go from the smallest champions <laughs> to literally the biggest yep. in the heavyweights in the main event. And um, what I really love about this fight is that Francis Ngannou, he is every bit of UFC's Mike Tyson with the just the stats, the numbers. I think the sheer respect for his punching power just top to bottom on the roster and then with Cyril Ghosn you have a guy who really just is looking like you know the next evolution right like he didn't have that many fights but he's just uh routing Jarzinho Rosenstrike and veterans like Alexander Volkov and then he's just one-way traffic Derek Lewis and you know he's not as big you know still strong guy but you know he's just so fast and he's got that footwork and his ability to get in and out looking like he's GSP out there with 50 pounds on him it's just very impressive and the X factor he's trained with Nganu and and they've both admitted that like even though that video looks like oh yeah they were in the gym and this happened all the time that was like one session out of like three or something that happened in one week. Mm. And that was it. It's not like they have this long history of, oh, you know, Cyril Ghosn spent months and years training with Nganu. He knows the secrets of the power. He kn- n- No, the, you know, <laughs> they, they went out there and, you know, they had some sessions and the coach got it on his phone. And now we act like they... Where John Jones and Rashad Evans, Jorge and Colby did this all the time. No. But there's still that impression that still, because Cyril has actually gloved up and thrown a bit with Nganu, there's a bit of that mystique that's just not there for Cyril. And is that enough to stop a guy who's needed less than 10 minutes to stop JDS, Cain Velasquez, uh, Jerzynia Rosenstrike and Stipe Miosic. Go ahead, talk to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that footage is hilarious because you know it's pretty clear that it's old, just based on how Francis and is fighting, and it's just it's just making the rounds so hard. Yeah, that wasn't an iPhone 13, right? Yeah, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> with the three cameras. Oh my god, yeah, you couldn't. Yeah, the quality on that definitely wasn't a cinematic quality from an iPhone. Um, 
so so okay you got to make a story out of it and that's fine there is a there is a story there though it's not you know we can take that that little bit of footage a little bit of sparring out of the equation and there's still a really good story there it's not necessarily francis and ganu versus cyril gone uh like there's a grudge match even though they will be uh fighting each other it's it's more of the coach who's the 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 center of the of the the difficulties right Francis Ganu and his coach, former coach Fernand, Ferdinand, I don't remember. Fernand Lopez, Lopez, yeah. Lopez, yeah. Um, it just wasn't an easy relationship, right? That's the sense that we get from from both sides. And there was, uh, they had, at least in the countdown, right? They attribute Francis Ganu's two losses to Stipe uh, first time and Derek Lewis, that terrible, boring fight that everyone thought was going to be amazing and was like one of the worst fights ever. They attribute that to... Francis Ngannou, you know, trying to stay loyal to his his coach in France and, and, you know, while still wanting to be in America, which is was always his goal. He says from Cameroon to the U.S., that's where I really wanted to go. Okay. So that's really where the beef is. Now, it's like Cyril Gaon is sort of defending the gym and the coach and, of course, his own, his own interim belt. And for Francis Ngannou, it's kind of like, of course, you want to be able to beat the coach that found potentially a better heavyweight to train and to and to you know to ride to the top. So, additionally, I feel like Francis Ngannou gets a little bit of a bad rap from his coach, from his former coach. So maybe there's some there's some you know wanting to settle the score there from Francis Ngannou's perspective. And so that's the personal emotional side. On the, on the actual, you know, skill set, talent side, Francis Ngannou is just a specimen. His MMA acumen has improved, you know, like a hundredfold since he started in the UFC. He really can punch from many different awkward angles, and he still has power. Think about, you know, JDS, um, that like behind, around the back, the Cain Velasquez, like all these weird angles that nobody else could generate enough knockout power from. And there's something raw about that that style of fighting, but it's very effective. You know, a lot of people, uh, you get trained to be a fighter, you get trained with technique, and you 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 want to just fight properly. Francis Ngannou can do both. He can fight fight properly with good technique, but he's smart and fast enough to where if he sees an opening at a really odd, awkward angle, he's still going to try to get you. He has a very strong killer instinct, which is terrifying. Uh, the the counter there is Cyril Gaon, who's just smooth and bouncy and more well-rounded as a striker because he has those kicks. And he has a really uh, clever, you know, fight style. According to, to Cyril and his coach, Lopez, like, he's really good at, you know, gather, gathering the data mid-fight and, and turning that into effective offense. Canelo Alvarez is really good at that too. You know, there's lots of other fighters that are good at it too, but that's the the one I think of the most. So, oh, Piorian too, right? Like he takes his time to get to know you, and then he just demolishes you. Um, so this is a real contrast in styles. And so I think about you know Siragon fighting Derek Lewis, and Derek Lewis has this thing where he kind of like cuts his losses, where he's like, ah, this isn't really going my way. I don't have a solution to this problem. You know, what's the fastest way out of this so I can move on with my life and get back in here, you know, with a winning fight. 
And so, so Cyril Gaon is tricky, and for all the attributes that he has, he's still not the scary beast that Francis Ngannou is. Because if he catches you, it's over. You know, Stephen Miocic is a is a light on his feet too, but Francis Ngannou didn't have any problems neutralizing that that footwork, that swiftness, and I think he's going to be able to do the same with Cyril Gaon. I think he's going to be able to neutralize it, and I think he's going to catch him. Round two, uh, knockout of Cyril Gaon, uh, Francis Ngannou knocking out Cyril Gaon round two. Ooh. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. Um, I think that Ngannou's ability, and it always feels like it's a cop-out, but his ability to just find openings in that chaos is really it. I mean, you think about how he just kind of rushed a really technical and experienced guy in Jorginho, the way he found that shot after Stipe thought he had him and stunned him. Um, you know, JDS, he found himself turned around, boom, got him. Uh, Cain Velasquez, they get into a bit of an exchange, boom, catches him coming in. You know, those moments for him and the fact that, you know, respectfully even more than Derek, it feels like Derek Lewis, the fact that he just doesn't need much behind it. He just kind of gets a bit of the chin and the rest of your body just leaves this earth for a couple minutes. You know, yep. it's ridiculous. Then with Cyril, I was watching him fight Derek Lewis and watching that back. And I was like, I'm sorry, but this reminds me the way he carries himself out there a bit like GSP. Uh-huh. Just finds his spots, picks his moments, has all the moves too on the feet. Just, you know, lateral movement get in, get out, very technical, doesn't really get flustered, doesn't really try to rush anything. The latter, you know, the sidekicks, like he's Stephen Wonderboy Thompson, once uh-huh. again, carrying 50 to 100 pounds more <laughs> into the cage, just, you know, muscle on him in size. Yeah, I- I'm with you there. I think that when you talk about the evolution of uh, Nganu, the real key to me is cut off the cage. Because I think that if you get into this thing with Cyril getting in and out, that's where it has the potential to run away from Francis. Especially if you feel like he's going to get reckless and make mistakes to make up that deficit. I think the key, Francis has to step into the fire early He's got to just cut off the cage. Very Calvin Cater, Giga Chikatsi. You know, just kind of do a little bit of that. And then patience, pick your spots. And eventually the power's just going to kind of follow uh, Nganu to the win. I mean, he's going to start touching him. He's going to start getting closer. And suddenly those openings, just like with everybody else, they just all seem to open up. I think Cyril Gunn, if there's a heavyweight out there that I think could avoid that and possibly get it done it would be him but i just have too much confidence i I see the way he was standing in that cage and then i've talked with his coach eric nixick about teaching him if it's a long fight how do you teach a guy like francis Ngannou all of the bells and whistles you need and i just have a lot of confidence in Ngannou and um i'm agree with you even though i kind of want to see what this would be like if it goes late i also you know what I'm sorry, Natalie. I'm going to go first round knockout for the win. Come home early because this is a backyard fight for me. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, before okay. uh, before we break it down, because it's become such a point. Last fight on Francis Ngannou's contract. 
Mm. So re- remember that even though his contract's expired, because he has the belt, that does not mean that he is a, quote, free agent. I believe it tacks on a couple years because the one thing that they don't ever want to do is you leave taking value away from the company. Right. So if you have a UFC belt and your contract is up, that does not mean you're fighting for Bellator next month no matter what they offer you. The UFC gets the rights to it and you are in con- in breach until essentially a waiting period expires and it could be a long time before it expires or obviously you negotiate a new one. Maybe you win, maybe you lose the belt and then, you know, thing more things start to happen. The one thing for Francis is that he was very adamant. He wants opportunities to box. He wants and he wants to more get paid more, which I don't think is unfair com- considering what he's asking. Yeah. I have confidence they will get a deal done for more money. I don't know how confident I am that they will find a deal for boxing because I, I I'll be honest, when I see Tyson Fury calling him out, I'm like, well, that's a little silly. And then I'm like, Tyson Fury went and competed in WWE when he was prepping to fight Deontay Wilder for the big <laughs> second one. He did. Honestly, Fury could go out there and say like, oh, well, I'm going to fight, you know, so-and-so. I think that Dylan White is the front runner, right? Something like that. Uh-huh. And then look, if Joshua and Newsick are still doing their thing, he might be like, Give me, you know, with that gravelly voice, give me Francis Ngannou, you know, you know, big dosser from the UFC, you know, I could see it happening. And I'm sorry, but if you're Francis Ngannou, that is too much money that you, you are not going to just leave it on the table unless absolutely that's the ultimatum. And the impression I get is they're trying to avoid ultimatum uh, neighborhood in negotiation. Yeah. But at the same time, I'm like, look, you know, I, I, I could see this becoming an issue because I think that UFC wants to be in the Francis Ngannou MMA business. I don't think they are interested in the boxing business right now. Because remember, you have to give up one of your biggest champions. Possibly they lose value. Remember, Conor got beat by Floyd. Possibly yeah. kind of devalue him. For his next fight a bit. Because let's be honest. Nganu, you don't exactly watch him for his grappling. You watch him for his hands. So, you know, are they as impressive if he loses a boxing fight? I don't know. But that's the impression I'm getting. They're just not interested in the boxing side of things. What about you? I mean, that's probably true. But on this one, I think they should be interested in the boxing side of things. Even though when I saw, you know, the news floating around France and Tyson Fury, I'm like, God, please stop with this crossover nonsense. But then I'm like, wait a minute. Nganu's Nganu, bro. Like, if you think about the fight with Deontay Wilder, right? Like, are they that far off as far as, you know, boxing skills go? Wilder and Nganu? Ngannou looks like he might be a better striker than Wilder. Because Wilder just really does rely on that big bomb. Ngannou can hurt you with both hands at different angles, like I mentioned earlier, really awkward angles. And what's Fury really good at? You know, bobbing and weaving, moving that head. Ngannou could catch him. And we know Fury can be dropped. Now he, you know, he he came 
you know, resuscitated like Lazarus uh, in that first fight. But, like, there's some potential there for a big fight. Now, of course, Ngannou's stuck. I don't say stuck in a bad way, but he's, you know, in a contract with UFC. Conor McGregor still made a lot of money fighting Floyd Mayweather, even though UFC got a big chunk of that pie, too. Why wouldn't the UFC... I mean, didn't that, like almost like help make their year the UFC's year when because Conor McGregor fought Floyd Mayweather like there's money to be made here by the UFC I, I don't think it devalues Ngannou if he loses because Tyson Fury is like the best heavyweight out there just like Floyd Mayweather Floyd Mayweather was the best uh, whatever I can't remember the weight class that they fought at yeah so all I'm saying is like there's a win-win situation here for the UFC and Ngannou so I think they should come to terms with something here and let the man box because it's a big fight. You're not wrong. Okay? <laughs> I don't like it either, but I do like it. I just don't. <laughs> I think that we've learned that the whole MMA boxing is just not on the level of boxing boxing, you know? Oh, yeah, it's not. Okay. It, it's like, I mean, I'm sorry, but Jake Paul has really illustrated this over the last year. Um, I don't know. I'm going to leave it at this. I think that Nganu will fight again. And we'll talk about it all on Sunday. But remember that the big prediction is that John Jones will fight the winner. And so if Nganu wins, he get, if Cyril wins, uh, let's be honest, anything could happen. I think really a lot of people would be in the Francis Nganu business, but... Yeah, uh, what I will say is that if Nganu wins, I expect him to fight again this year for the UFC. I can't say that I see him fighting boxing. I'll say that. And I think that'll be a contractual thing. Just they're like, look, we, we, we're trying to make money for our own business, not someone else. We've been there, done that already. Yeah, yeah. Anyway... Uh, Natalie, um, next week, uh, not uh, no UFC action, which I think will kind of shock people after the break we've had. But um, uh, Bellator comes back with the unifier, uh, Ryan Bader versus Valentin Moldovsky. And then, of course, Eagle FC kicks off in the United States with Tyron Spong versus Rashad Evans. Probably more talk about the business side of things than the actual fights, but... You know, plenty of MMA news I expect to drop between now and then, so we'll have a lot to talk about. So, guys, thank you for tuning in. It's great to be back. Once again, stay safe. Have a great 2022. We'll be back for the next one.